0: The Future of Finances Here podcast looks at the changing landscape of the Australian finance industry. Our industry is financing Australia's future, a future that will be driven by access and choice for consumers, embracing innovation and competition and generating greater economic and therefore social participation for all Australians. AFIA CEO Diane Tate talks to industry leaders and extraordinary individuals about their experiences, good and bad, and how those experiences have shaped and continue to shape their contribution to our industry and Australia.
1: Hello and welcome to the Future of Finance is Here, AFIA's inaugural podcast series. Today we'll be discussing the shifting nature of the fleet and car rental sector and how this sector is not just critical to supporting business activity across our economy, but also as part of our financial services industry. Our guests will share their experiences as key players in an evolving industry Deeply impacted by the recent technology changes and shifts in consumer expectations, but also deeply impacted by what's been going on domestically and globally with the COVID crisis. Joining me today is Aaron Baxter, CEO of Custom Fleet. Custom Fleet is Australia and New Zealand's premier fleet management organisation, offering analytics, data-driven solutions that make fleet leasing and management less complicated and more efficient. We're also joined today by Tom Mooney, CEO of Avis Budget Group, ABG is a leading global provider of mobility solutions operating in Australia and offering a wide range of vehicle options. Both Tom and Aaron are going to offer us some really interesting and unique perspectives on a sector not as well understood as other parts of the finance industry. So this is a really good time for us to really get to understand how this sector has been impacted, what its strategic thinking is. So I can't wait to have this conversation.
2: Thanks very much, Todd. Thank you, Diane. It's great to be here.
1: So, Tom, it seems there's a few people who might not appreciate how important the car rental and fleet management sector is in our economy. Uh, you know, it's not just desks in airports. So, can you share with us a little bit about your business, uh, the lessons learned from last year in terms of the trends about consumer and businesses interacting in the sector? And, you know, what's front of mind for ABG uh, in terms of responding to the pandemic through this year?
2: Yeah, sure. Just a little bit about us to begin with. So, uh, again, Avis Budget Group is a Global mobility business we operate in 180 countries worldwide. Uh, last year we generated about 13 billion in revenue and we operate under several brands globally. in this market we tend to focus on the Avis budget and Apex brands and you're absolutely right, Diane. We're much more closely affiliated with the finance industry than I think most people would expect you know interesting example I think it was fleece plan a number of years ago was spun out of ANZ Bank and there's a lot of similarities between what banking does in terms of financing assets. That companies or consumers want to use on a temporary basis and what vehicle leasing businesses do. There are some subtle differences though. So if I take a typical leasing business in Australia, they might issue debentures, then use that to fund leases, either operating leases or finance leases. We're a little bit different. We tend to issue asset-backed securities into the global credit market. And we use that to take on fleet that we actually take the depreciation and you know repair and maintenance costs to our P&L. So you could really characterize what we do as providing a series of mini finance leases to customers, um, and in that sense, you know, finance is a core aspect of what we do as a company. Yeah, look, COVID nineteen's been kind of a surprise. It's generated a lot of uncertainty and a lot of chaos. But I think our core view is that actually chaos creates opportunity. So, you know, we're seeing opportunities that uh, were there all along, but we're too risk averse to take on. So, for example, locally. Uh, We've looked at integrating our Avis budget and Apex brands. There are opportunities that were there, but they were sort of hidden from us. So in some of the slowdown from COVID-19, we noticed, for example, in our ops team, that we could take a tool that originally we're using for damage issues to solve fuel reconciliation issues or lost property issues. And there's a whole lot of exciting new opportunities that frankly weren't there pre-COVID. Some of the things I think have changed because of COVID, and I tend to think in terms of what's happening with competitors consumers and consumer trends. The first one that really stands out is that uh, consumers are moving away from shared mobility options. Um, There's a kind of stranger danger, a real anxiety about infection risk. And for corporates, they've probably never been more concerned about their own staff's health and safety. And for us, that creates a great opportunity because fundamentally what we're about is providing options that are very safe. The individual is not traveling with other people, so it's a great fit. In terms of where our heads first went, to be frank, our immediate thought was the safety of our customers and our staff. Look, we did a lot of work locally, but globally, we had support from a medical advisory group that includes a neurologist from Columbia University, an epidemiologist from Johns Hopkins University, and they really guided us on how best to respond. I like to think that we were smart enough to realize we weren't experts in epidemiology and that really we took excellent advice to make sure we were getting our customer needs and our employee needs satisfied first. As we moved past the question of safety, we then had to address costs. Now, we're relatively uh, fortunate as an industry. uh, In our particular firm, around 75% of our cost base is variable, and a lot of it did naturally adjust to reductions in revenue. But that doesn't mean we didn't take a lot of cost-out actions. So if I look at Q2, our revenue globally was down about 65% uh, internationally, largely due to travel restrictions and lockdowns. At the same time, in that same quarter, we took out 2.5 billion U.S. of cost on a run rate basis, and throughout our third quarter, we've continued to look at cost out actions. So uh, there's been a real focus on just adapting and adjusting to the new environment.
1: We've just heard Tom talking about the car rental sector as being more than just cars and desks at airports. So, Aaron, I think most Australians know that you can lease a car through a company, but perhaps what they don't know is how integrated the fleet sector is in our economy. Can you explain to us what the fleet sector does to support businesses across our economy? And you know how do you keep things going at a time when there is such disruption to your model?
3: Well, Di, I think, you know, when you talk about the fleet sector, you're not necessarily just talking about fleet management companies. You're actually talking about all the auxiliary services that support the management and maintenance of fleet vehicles. So this is everyone from relationship managers that look after your account to the tow truck driver that meets you at the scene of the accident. The supply chain is one of huge scale and complexity and everyone actually has a really unique and important role to play. The industry supports in excess of around about 750,000 vehicles, and really from a custom fleet perspective, services a wide range of organisations from government to listed companies to mid-market businesses to SME. Custom fleet, from our perspective, we're very proud to be aligned with a number of fantastic organisations, particularly through the pandemic, that were supplying essential services to communities in Australia as well as New Zealand. So this year we've partnered with a number of companies that were critical through this phase, government, groceries, telecommunications, to really optimise their fleet management services. Really, if I call out one recent appointment, as the National Fleet Management Provider for the Salvation Army, that we've recently partnered with them. So these guys, as you know, do the most amazing work on the front line, helping the communities across Australia in a number of ways. So, you know, it was a real privilege for us to partner with them, particularly through a time of need like this. So really, if you think about custom fleet and the fleet industry in general, our objective is really to help our customers run their fleet effectively, efficiently and safely. So we understand that fleet is core to their business but not their core business. So by removing the responsibility of managing that function, our customers are really able to focus their efforts on growth and optimisation.
1: You mentioned before, Aaron, you know, having to shift your business because of COVID-19. Is there any things that you can share with us about how you managed your fleet? You know, you've got over 100,000 managed and leased vehicles across Australia and New Zealand. What did you need to do during COVID and what have you seen afterwards? And maybe also share with us how is that different to New Zealand?
3: You know, the first thing I'd say is it's been a significant year of challenging change and it really has varied by location and, and continues to being part of element that's got presence in Canada, Mexico, the US, Australia, New Zealand. So in many respects, the rest of element's looking to us for best practice because we've been through a number of different cycles already. We've really tried to appropriately adapt to the necessary changes. We've kept a few things top of mind to really guide our decisions. So the first thing I'd relate to and call out is really health and safety has been our number one priority. Right from the outset, we quickly transitioned our business to a full working from home model. In fact, we went in in the first week of March. So we had to make really quick decisions to invest in the necessary change, to really run the operation seamlessly from home, and then really beyond that, providing the staff with resources and support that really allowed them to connect, but connect in a really different way. As an extension of this, I would say that a big learning was the required wellbeing and support for our employees. That's been really front of mind as well. So we facilitated new ways and different ways to connect both formally and informally from their home offices. So as an example, I've run a series of walk and talk sessions. So these have really provided a simple, valuable way to encourage people to get out of behind the computer grab some fresh air, share learnings across all the different respective locations. We've also focused on engagement and support initiatives. So things like webinars and working from home, Pilates sessions were done over Zoom. We've actually run some art classes for the kids because that's a big part of it with homeschooling. So we tried to play our part to keep people and their broader families engaged. So what we tried to do was ultimately bring to life what our staff love about our culture into their respective homes. And then, Di, if I think about the customer, we've really just tried to remain 100% committed to the same level of service our customers have expected from each of our respective offices. So through lockdown, collaboration with our supply chain was really, really critical. So remaining in close contact with our supply chain to understand temporary closures and adapt to changes early. That was really critical from a customer perspective. And then finally, if you think about the extraordinary impact that COVID had, the need for funding was absolutely critical. So the size and scale that we brought to the market, both locally and globally, The good aspect is that we secured $5 billion of excess funding globally that really supported our customers' growth and liquidity requirements. So we generated a number of sale and leasebacks for our customers through that period, and that really unlocked capital to help them really focus and keep their balance sheet really strong. And then lastly, it was really focused on working with customers to provide flexibility, and we did that in two fronts. We were very focused on lease modifications. So we did around about 6,000 lease modifications to reduce operating costs for our customers. And in some cases offered customers payment holidays to manage their way through from a cash flow perspective.
1: So I think what you've spoken about here is the human element, you know, the one thing that's been crucial throughout last year and the response to the pandemic. I mean, moving away from humans, though, can you talk to me about technology? I mean, how's technology, particularly data, been a driver in your business?
3: Fleet's always been really, dive. if I think about it, it's been an industry that's always generated a huge amount of data, whether it's traditional areas like fuel or servicing, maintenance or vehicle remarketing. Or what's happening now is the emergence of newer type of data through telematics units or in-vehicle systems like advanced driver assistance technology. So I think fleet managers are now seeing the value in the integration of data to really correlate things like driver behavior and locality with cost and vehicle performance. Personally, I would only expect this to continue to evolve with even more sophisticated models leveraging things like AI and machine learning to really surface actionable insights for fleet managers and drivers. And really, ultimately, what we're trying to do here is allow fleets to maximise utilisation, reduce costs, keep drivers safer than ever before. The other point I'd call out is really around data ethics, which I think is becoming increasingly important, not just for the fleet industry, but other financial services sectors as well. Nowhere more so do we need to be able to gather, identify and use data about individual drivers from telematics units and in-house vehicle systems, but we need to be really particular around how that data is stored, shared, and then ultimately monetized. What we're seeing is the prevalence of these new data governance principles that are emerging all across the world, particularly in Europe and the UK where regulators, again, are, their expectations are growing every single day, week, month and quarter. And so fleet managers need that to be reflected in their policies and they need to be with a trusted advisor like a custom fleet or one of our peers within the industry sector to keep them particularly safe. And that's going to require significant investment around infrastructure security going forward.
1: And from your perspective, Tom, I mean, how are you making your business adapt uh, and, you know, use data in terms of better asset utilization? And how's ABG leading technology changes in the industry?
2: Yeah, it's funny when someone makes a list of uh, all the rapid technology changes happening at the moment, you know, they list them off, connectivity, 5G, AI, on and on. It it can seem a little bit overwhelming, but what keeps us on track is that we keep the customers on touchdown. touchstone. So we're real clear about exactly what it is we're trying to deliver for customers. You know, When people think about taking a vehicle on a, on a temporary basis, what probably isn't considered is that how much a sense of convenience and a sense of control is important to the customer. So compared to other modes of transport, you could take a bus, a train, an Uber, or a taxi. So why is it so many people choose to rent a car? And the answer in my mind is it's about control. So they're controlling when they leave, they're not waiting around. They're controlling who's in the car with them. They're controlling what's on the radio. They're controlling what the temperature in the car is. And so really what we're trying to achieve is as conveniently and as quickly as possible to put our customers in control. Now technology helps us do that. So we might describe it as two phases. So the first phase has really been about how do we use technology to help that customer get straight to the car, to bypass the counter? How do we digitize the end-to-end process So it's the most convenient experience they can imagine. And for a large segment of customers, that's highly appealing. And I think if you look further out, it's inevitable that when regulation allows it and autonomous vehicles are available, we'll eventually move to an all autonomous fleet. The average age of our fleet's about 10 months. As these these vehicles roll out, they inevitably roll onto fleet. And in terms of the process, I kind of compare it to the self-serve process that airlines have gone through. So I initially brought out kiosks and terminals into airports and they didn't let the customer wrestle with that technology they put a kind of concierge out there to meet and greet you make you feel comfortable help you use it for the first time and in a sense kind of train you to adapt to a new way of working and once you did you just did it yourself so in our case we use uh, what we call the avis app to enable people to self-book to pick their car adjust their preferences the goal is to connect that avis app to oem telematics devices allowing the customer to walk straight up to the car Uh, lock the car with their phone, jump in. Because we now have digital pre-check-in and we're launching uh, contactless exit gates this year. It really becomes an end-to-end seamless contactless experience, which is not just better from a customer experience perspective, but fits really well with COVID and this notion of staying contactless. Over time, as they get used to using our app to go straight to car, there will come a day in which they will use the same app with the same brand to book a car that comes straight to them. And so we'll eventually transition from straight to car to straight to you. And so we have a natural path over time as, uh, as autonomous vehicles become available. I think the more interesting question is how different markets in our organization have tackled the question of what I might call transitional technologies or transitional business models. So in the interim, there are car share options, subscription options, obviously ride hail is, is out there. Each of them has got the exact same existential threat that we have at some point right hell has to go autonomous at some point go get a car share business in our market has to invest in allowing people to use phones to actually unlock their cars at some point they too are going to have the same autonomous challenge so in our market we've we've made a decision that we want to really focus on the core customer experience and we want to focus on where we're going to finish
1: talking about sort of technology and service delivery themes here tom data ethics I mean, it's it's an issue that the industry is already thinking about. You know, you talked about automation. I mentioned robots. Where is the industry at in terms of use of data? Is data ethics not just an ethical challenge, but a a technology challenge? And is this the biggest challenge? Do you think that's going to face the sector in the next few years?
2: Well, I think for OEMs and insurance companies, data ethics, as as you as you game it out, will again for us, our touchdown remains the customer. So. That simplifies the complexity. So what does data ethics mean to us? It means first and foremost, data privacy, protecting the customer's data, but not only control their rental experience, they're in control of their own data. And we're never gonna violate that. that. That goes to the, to the trust we wanna build with our customers. Uh, secondly, there is data that's useful. And we do collect a tremendous amount of data. We have over 100,000 connected vehicles globally. We get a lot of insight and makes and models and driving behaviors. And we can use that data to get insights in terms of how to operate better to better serve the customer.
0: The more interesting question, I
2: think, as you think it through in the long term is, you know, what what does it mean when robotic cars are making ethical decisions? We don't have a formal policy on that. I can tell you, though, that however we view it it will be through the lens of protecting the customer and putting the customer's interests first.
1: And do you think about those sorts of bigger picture questions that are not just for your industry to solve? It's like climate change, I guess, to some extent, which is also an issue that can potentially have a very big impact on on the the car, motor, car rental fleet industry. How much do you jump into thinking about these issues strategically uh, for your business and long term and how much is that that you just react to how the environment shifts around you? I mean, surely it's got to be both, lead it and, and be led by it.
2: Yeah, I think you pick the places where you want to lead. And interestingly enough, what's been uh, interesting about our company globally is they've allowed us to look at that a little bit market by market, because even even individual markets are at a different stage of evolution and you know some markets are more prone to early adoption than others. So it, it has, has changed market by market. Fundamentally, we're competitor-aware and very trend-aware, but we always remain, and I, keep, I don't got to keep saying it, but we remain customer-focused. So that's, that's how, we, how we address the problem. So what do we know about our customers and what they want? What are they telling us? What they're telling us is they are concerned about sustainability. They are increasingly buying um, electric vehicles, and we know that uh, electric and hydrogen fuel cells are, are an emerging trend. And what's really the, the, the test case for us is how residuals on electric vehicles and hydrogen vehicles move over time. And I think we've seen a really positive move out of the Tesla 3 in terms of very low level of depreciation and the, uh, the sort of continuing consumer interest. But to date, the majority of our customers are still focused on what you'll see on the road today in Sydney or Melbourne or, or Perth. They love SUVs. They want to do road trips. They want to bring their family. Certainly the COVID, they want to do domestic trips explore regional Australia, bring the dog. We have to fit that customer need today, but we're mindful of where customers want to be in the future. And so we are migrating that way. And again, we use kind of residuals as the item we track to make sure we're heading in the right direction.
1: Aaron, we've just heard from Tom about the shifting nature of the industry as a result of some of the technology and social changes. Can you share with us you know, a bit about your strategy and how you're preparing your business to succeed?
3: Happy to. And ours is very simple, but in my terms, it's really effective. I think what we've done, we've been under element fleet management now for five years, and I guess the first two years was really standing the business up and getting it matched fit for growth. So we've kind of gone through this comprehensive transformation program to now being a full-scale business that's ready to really scale the business and drive profitable growth. So we spent a lot of time over the last year mapping out what our three-year growth strategy was and understanding really what it was going to take to deliver on those growth objectives. So the business in my eyes has been reinvigorated with really strong strategic clarity, seeing us implement you know, a very simplified operating structure and we've invested in people, processes and systems. So again, it sounds simple, but if the entire organisation understands it, and what we're trying to achieve is really deliver on a consistent, superior customer experience from a strong and highly scalable operating platform that can really absorb additional volume with little incremental cost. So we've made lots of investments die around robotics and automation. And if you think historically about the fleet sector, there's a huge amount of paper. So if you can identify those repeatable tasks and apply a robot or a workflow tool towards those tasks, then you're going to immediately create benefits for the customer in terms of consistency and compliance but also cost. So we're very bullish around our technology transformation. And then if you think about our unique value proposition, I think it's becoming even more compelling in a world that's surrounded by COVID at the moment, although we've always been able to deliver you know, cost-efficient funding and materially reduce the total cost of fleet ownership, what we're layering on now is strategic consulting services that really help to identify real cost savings and take actions to realise the same.
1: Aaron, you talked about how AI and robotics can really help drive efficiencies within your business. What do you think mobility is going to look like in the future? Intuitive, cleaner, connected vehicles that address our global challenges and demands for dealing with urban congestion, safety, pollution, climate change. I mean, are we going to see self-driving e-cars that change shape with a push of a button and get a new colour of paint if we don't like the colour? Are we going to end up with hoverboards? Was Doc and Marty right in Back to the Future? Is that what it's all going to look like?
3: I don't think we're that far away. I think everything is at our fingertips and I think where do you place your bets and how does the consumer keep pace with the technology advancements? From my perspective, I think there's huge opportunities for advances in mobility, particularly as we see transport electrify and transition from Ice vehicles, internal combustion engines to electric vehicles. So the potential reduction at an urban pollution perspective, both exhaust as well as noise, I think is just one basic benefit for, you know, all of our magnificent cities across Australia and New Zealand. You know, you think about road transport emissions, you know, they account for probably 10% roughly of Australia's greenhouse gases and about eighteen percent in New Zealand the environmental impact can be significantly reduced by transitioning to more sustainable forms of transport. I'll give you an example of custom fleet. In 2016, we committed to electrifying 30% of our fleet, which we delivered by 2019. We've now ramped that up and we want 50% of our fleet transition over the next two years. What we've also concurrently done is launched what we call our EV Plus program with the goal of really helping customers accelerate and transition to EVs. So to date, we've replaced around about 500 fossil fuel cars with EVs across ANZ, and those numbers grow every single week now. And then if I transition to what we define as the modern car now, they come with more software than ever before. So again, I try and keep things simple. You could even call it a computer on wheels. That's what we're dealing with now. So this is another key innovation that I think delivers really exciting possibilities. The data that's generated from the connected car can be used to provide a whole suite of rich location and context-aware services to the occupant. So if you can start to imagine, and I come back to your question around if you could book You're parking for that appointment in the city ahead of time. Traffic authorities could aggregate vehicle location and speed data. You could better synchronise traffic lights and reduce congestion. I think that the possibilities are endless. You start to think about car manufacturers. They've made significant strides in safety. So in some respects, you could say computers are more reliable than the human driver you know, without the risk of falling asleep at the wheel or potentially driving erratically. So you start to question or pose questions like, should cars drive themselves? You could go on and on, but there's just some examples of, you know, the optionality that's at our fingertips and some of the dilemmas that we're presented with.
1: So, Tom, I was a bit cheeky with Aaron um, and asked him about, you know, the hoverboard back in you know, the Back to the Future film. Are we going to see the end of cars? Or, you know, are the petrol heads going to win and we're going to end up with cars on the road still in the future?
2: Innovation is incredibly exciting and it is fun to game out where we may be in the future. And uh, I'm going to steal a quote here from Lennon, and that is that there are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. And I have to say in the car rental industry, in the auto industry as a whole. That has felt like decades have passed in the past past few weeks. There's just a tremendous amount of transformation. And I understand that it's, uh, it's natural to kind of want to jump to the end game and get there. But things we tend to forget is Kodak gets thrown around as a popular story about what can happen if you're innovated out of existence. But the truth is Kodak didn't go out of existence. It still exists today. And I can remember how CDs replaced records and LPs and then digital replaced CDs. And we thought it was the end of them. When I walked down to the beach in Manly, there's a little market and they're still out there selling LPs. So Kodak didn't go away and LPs didn't go away. So I think the first thing to remember is we don't move from one state of technology to the other one instantaneously. They often run two sort of ways of operating, sort of different customer segments in different ways for an extended period of time. So I think there's still a long road, highly profitable road ahead just in our core activity. But there's, without question, I think Uber's a good example in terms of what they're experimenting with. Let's call them flying vehicles. Boeing obviously was going aggressively in that direction before they had their own, let's say, um, health and safety issues that they had to focus on and pull back on R&D. There's a realistic possibility that that is an outcome. But we are we are still a long way away from flying robotic vehicles. There is a, um, a customer need to serve for the next 10 years, and I have to say that in the short term, we want to make sure we're doing that as well as we can while still setting ourselves up to take advantage of those opportunities as they emerge.
1: And can you tell me, Tom, ABG, as we know, is not just, we talked about um, desks in in airports. It really does serve the arteries of the economy in terms of support to business During COVID, can you just give us some examples of how your business really continued to operate through the lockdowns, serving uh, essential workers' needs, whether that's their individual transportation needs, and serving industries, the medical industry, the transport, food production industries?
2: Yeah, uh, I think uh, a lot of the firms in our sector did a great job stepping up and saying, you know, we're, we're not just businesses, we're part of the Australian community, and so we have a role to play. And one of the ways we express that is through exactly that, by providing discounts and support to those who were involved in emergency services or support services, Uh, whether that was free vehicles initially or deeply discounted vehicles to make it easier for them to get where they needed to be. That was absolutely critical to how we approached it. In in different markets, there's been slightly different approaches, but um, I think there's a general recognition that people are relying more on cars than ever, and so it's meant that a lot of what we're offering uh, is coming to the fore. And so we've been able to solve more customer needs in more ways. Uh, in some markets, it's through car share. Uh, and this market was been by adding subscription and it's through our core sort of mini lease and uh, traditional car rental products.
1: And Tom, just to finish up, wrapping up our themes of technology, service and competition, what do you see as the big thing for ABG this year and into next year? So what's 2021 and 2022 look like for you?
2: Well, I don't want to give too much away about our strategy for the next year. Uh, look, uh, I think we see some exciting opportunities, and I'll, I'll be frank. But one of the uh, interesting things about COVID is it has changed competitor positions. It's changed buyer behaviors. Some trends that were very threatening just came to a halt, and some new ones just started that are very attractive. There's uh, a, a, one I'm really excited by is customers everywhere in the world just learned the hard way what can happen if you don't book direct. So we, we have a high dependence on, on distribution and what we really value are direct customer relationships. And we can see that uh, clearly as a result of that change, more and more customers are coming direct. Secondly, our brands. In a period of uncertainty, uh, consumers are much more attracted to the safety of iconic and trusted brands. And so suddenly our Avis brand our budget brand seem all the more attractive. In terms of competitors, there's concerns about, you know, ability to supply Uh, We have cruised through COVID and are in incredibly healthy shape. And as a result, uh, customers are coming to us because they want to make sure that they can get access to support and vehicles in the future. We've got distribution partners who are deeply worried about um, their ability to receive commission payments, and a bankrupt or near-bankrupt company is going to struggle to make those payments not a problem with us. So we're suddenly the center of attention. Not only consumers migrating to us or migrating away from the channels towards us, We're seeing corporate customers uh, coming to us. We're seeing distribution partners and airlines coming to us. You know, our view is that COVID-19, as as disappointing as it has been to go through it, has created an incredible market opportunity, an opportunity that it's it's kind of an open window that may close soon. So we want to really make hay where the sun shines.
1: Look, thank you, Tom and Aaron, for sharing your thoughts and experiences and a little bit of your strategy and for uh, really explaining to us how the fleet and car rental sector is so important to Australia, to business activity, to individuals in terms of their livelihoods and lifestyles, and also how important this sector is going to be to Australia's recovery.
2: My pleasure. Thanks, Ty. Thank you, Diane.
0: The future of finance is here. That much we know. Be sure to tune into our next episode where we continue the conversation on creating change in the finance industry with the people that are making change happen. Let us know what you think. Leave a review or rating and tell us if there is someone you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like covered that you think will shape the future of our industry. I'm Mel Carpenter, Executive Director, Member Services, and I'm thrilled to have you joining this series with us. If you like what you've heard, head to afia.asn.au to find out more or subscribe via your favourite podcast app.